0: Mr. Doug Berry, you've been around in a Catholic space for over three decades. You've seen a lot of different Catholic movements. You've seen the Theology of the Body become very popular. You've seen the apologetics movement become very mainstream. You, you've seen the new new evangelization come on with the internet and all. You've been around such a long time. You've seen so many different things as an, as an evangelist. But what, so when you think of, our diminished sense of the sacred, what sort of things come to mind, positive and negative over the course of time that you've seen?
1: Well, I got to say, David, first of all, you, you, you make me feel rather old the way you lay all that out. So. <laughs> um, no, honestly, yeah. I mean, I've been actually doing this work for 40 years. I was, I was about 18 years old when my mom invited me to start helping with a Wednesday night You know religious ed class ccd religious ed class and i started talking about our lady of fatima and i started talking about you know the power of the mass and the sacraments and the ten commandments just simple basic stuff and then you know about six seven years later or so i formalized it into a ministry radix um, and we started to really turn it into something where we would travel around going to many conferences over the years dozens and dozens of conferences Eucharistic conferences and congresses and, and Marian conferences and family conferences. And and some of these conferences were attended by literally thousands of people. And it was a very regular thing that was happening. And over the years, and as of recently, um, that has changed. The, I think the appreciation for even events like that changed dramatically. Uh, many of the so-called uh, called Marian centers, Marian peace centers and such that were putting on Marian conferences, a lot of them closed up. They just closed up shop. They couldn't sustain anymore. Uh, people just seem to slowly lose interest. And I think some of that correlates with losing a sense of the sacred. They lost a sense of of the importance of even events that really bolster us and lift us. And a lot of this, I think th- there's several different things that, that have really you know, caused this. I know we're going to get into some of this, but I would say that the changes that I've seen when I go back and look at you know the times I would travel um, which was all the time. I've got many, many, many miles logged on my, on my, on the road and in the air. Um, there was a time when I would have to call back home, and I would call on a payphone and have to reverse the charges. I mean, no cell phones, no internet, nothing like that was even in existence. You know, I would spend days or even all night at times in a Kinko's, getting things printed up and ready for the next trip. I mean, this was just the way it was. And now things have gotten to a point where we can do events like this, where we're online and where we can, we can stream and we can broadcast and we can record and we can edit in our homes and we can do amazing things now. So the technology is fantastic with what we can do. But there's also been a change in the area of, of losing something. And I think some of it has to do with the ease of things as well as things have become easier We've gotten softer. And one of my favorite quotes from an old Genghis Khan movie where John Wayne played Genghis Khan, which is really a terrible casting decision, if you ask me, but they did it. And John Wayne plays Genghis Khan. And there's a a scene in there where they're they're inviting Genghis Khan's men into the village that he's about to overrun the next day. And they're trying to negotiate peace with them come on in and relax and we'll give your men, you know, wine and food and song. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be relaxing and comfortable for them. And someone in Genghis Khan's entourage says, no, the men will stay out here. They'll sleep on the ground where they, where they will stay hardened. And they said, because if they become too comfortable, they will get soft. And if they get soft, they will get weak. And if they get weak, they won't be able to fight. And if they can't fight, they'll die. And I think that spiritually speaking it, it that, that relates very well to us. We've become very comfortable. The bar has been lowered. And when you lower the bar and you make it easier, human nature, in large part will always seek the path of least resistance. It's like water going downhill. It hits a rock. It's going to find the quickest way to get around the rock. It doesn't necessarily have to go over it. It'll go to the side that's the lowest and it'll get around it. And I think as both the church, and families, you know, spiritual leaders have lowered the bar. It's made it easier for people to to take that that lower route, that easier route, and we become soft. And so, doing the things that help bolster and lift us into more of a sacred understanding, um, a fair amount of that is just uh, is just uh, people just don't care for it as much anymore. It's part partly human nature, I think.
0: Yeah, when you're talking, one thing that came to mind was how comfortable like the mass is itself um, in, in a few ways i think one you know the nailers sometimes are very comfortable sometimes the pews very comfortable sometimes uh, we've su- surrounded ourselves w- with a lot of comforts just getting to mass our vehicles just getting there. um donuts after mass and, and then there's uh we sometimes we look at our leaders they seem to be Soft in some ways, they don't really challenge us a whole lot. They don't demand us to fast. They don't demand us to do um, penance um, um, in a rigorous sort of way. Sometimes the decisions that they make uh, when they're faced with difficult choices, such as should I close a church or not because it is this virus that seems to be contagious, you know, oh the easy choice is just to close. So I think um, just all around us is just soft. And I think you're the person, perfect person to talk to about this because you for a lot of your um, ministry with Radix, you, you portray Christ Jesus in the passion. And I wonder if you could bridge these things together. Um, what do we see in the passion of Christ and the life of Christ versus um, our propensity or inclination towards um, pursuing comfort and how that may help how, cause a diminished sense of the sacred?
1: I, I there is a tremendous link there. And I think you know when you look at the fact that God has created us even physically for the need to have some sort of resistance in our lives for the sake of our physical health, we also need that for our emotional health. We need it for our immune system. There needs to be something that challenges the immune system, for the immune system to get stronger. Um, That's why, you know, kids go play in the dirt, the dirt's going to help you, right? You know, you keep them shielded from all forms of bugs and viruses and bacterias, then they will eventually succumb to those in different ways. Whereas you you incrementally introduce these things and they can grow, the immune system can grow. The spiritual is the same. If we don't hear from the preaching, if we don't hear, excuse me, the preaching from the pulpit that challenges us, like you said, and encourages and teaches what fasting is. Why is it important to have moments and uh, times of mortification in your life? You know, why is it important to understand what it is to to kneel and not just in comfort you know it was a, there's a quote from St Thomas More about you know, when you kneel and pray and you belch up your gluttony and pick your nose this is what he says in the quote he says eventually you're going to want to kneel on padded kneelers and he makes it sound like okay that's not a good thing and yet that's what almost all of our churches are so we you know and, and I'm saying look for people who have bad knees okay i get it but most of us, you know, people have a hard time even genuflecting properly. I mean, it's it's just hard to get down there, you know. I just think that without that pressure, that resistance, that the good pressure that, that is applied to us, like when you apply pressure on coal that eventually can become a diamond, there's something about healthy pressure that produces great effects and great fruit. And spiritually speaking, we need that from our leaders. You know, the body is built, I've spent... 46 years of my life working out. I started lifting weights when I was 12 and I still, I work out in all kinds of ways, you know, cardio, weightlifting, you know, exercise bands, flip tractor tire, all kinds of stuff. I do all kinds of things. But I know that resistance training of some degree is necessary for not just your muscles, but for your bones even. The very skeletal structure needs a type of resistance. You have two main cells in the bones, osteoblast and osteoclast people hear of the word osteoporosis. Well, osteoporosis, a weakening of the bones comes when the osteoclast cells dominate, they do what they normally do, which is they, they tear bone down. And then just like every other part of your body, we regenerate, just like your skin cells regenerate everything. Well, so do your bones. Osteoblast cells need a form of resistance in order for them to be activated, stimulated so that they can grow the bone and make it more dense. And so when your osteoblast cells are not getting any kind of resistance movement training, whether it's weight resistance, exercise bands, even riding a bike is a type of resistance. I mean, there's because that resistance causes the osteoblast cells to ignite, to do their job. And then the osteoclasts do not dominate. You don't have to have weak bones and, you know, incapacitated atrophied muscles later into your life you can take care of them your whole life and have a healthier existence now if god does that to us naturally and we're all built that way spiritually psychologically emotionally there's there's some similarities there so when you don't with resistance train the body properly it will lose something very important its strength its stability coordination fast twitch muscle cells slow-moving muscle cells, and so forth, all lose something. Spiritually speaking, and when we're talking about the sacred, without some sort of push, some sort of resistance, some sort of challenge, then we walk out of the confessional and we're told we need to firmly resolve to the best of our ability not to sin again, amend our lives, do the penance that we're asked to do. And if that penance challenges us and really puts us in a position to really consider more so what we've done and why we had to go to confession, we grow from that better than if it's just something very light and easy. It needs to challenge us on some level, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And I do think that when you see this in the passion of Jesus and yeah, for 23, 25 years or so, I did this one man drama of the passion. And, you know, in in portraying these characters in this meditation, you know, you see where Christ himself takes on the difficulty of a rigorous act of love and that, that challenge that he has, even from the agony in the garden, the resistance uh, moment there where, where the temptations to, to the, the, you know, when we see portrayed in Gibson's movie as well, Mel Gibson's movie where the serpent is, you know, trying to work on him there. And our Lord just simply says over and over, your will be done, not mine, even though he says, if the cup can pass, because this cup is looking pretty rough. There's a very serious challenge there. And from that comes the most amazing thing ever, ultimately the redemption of mankind. So what we see correlation of our Lord going through this incredibly difficult moment to bring about the most sacred of all things, um, body, blood, soul, divinity from from the Last Supper, the cross, the resurrection, the whole redemptive act, all has to do with some sort of challenge, some sort of resistance, push-pull sort of moment. It's the same with us. We need it physically. We need it emotionally. We need it psychologically. We definitely need it spiritually.
0: So when we hear from people like Tertullian and he is talking about how persecution and the blood of martyrs is is why we grow when we think of just just the early church in general, just is is growth It's expansive growth. I was speaking in this series as well. Father Dave, Dave David Nix gave a class and we were speaking about how Uh, the culturally black Catholic community, they had their largest growth during a period of time in America when you wouldn't think that the Catholic church would grow. But coming out of slavery until about the early seventies, they grew by a million when um, people would, um, I think uh, maybe objective to say that um, it was difficult for, for some uh, black American communities as far as segregation, as far as things they had access to. Yet, in spite of all that, they grew by a million. So there, there's just so many examples that, that correlate what you're saying here about the um, that it takes when we face resistance, even in the body, things grow. Things are more, more healthy. So from the from the martyrs to we could look at today, a lot of people tell us that the, the trad movement is growing uh, with traditional Catholics. Maybe there's some sort of resistance there. So this if, if the Catholic faith, if if we're growing, um, if or if we're not growing, um it it, it makes sense um, if, if that's the case, if there's less resistance or if we look at some of um, our leaders in the catholic church uh, whether priests or clergy or bishops and we see them especially during a sex abuse crisis giving into sin not resisting sin at all just giving into it so so we have the example there of of, uh, of people who we ought to follow in a way yet we don't see them as as the apostles, as Paul spoke in Thessalonians, he said, we were example unto you to follow. So I wonder if you could just talk about that in a sense, as far as when we ask the question, like, what have we lost along the way? That's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking, well, we've lost growth <laughs> because and because we because we, we had a loss of the sense of the sacred, because we haven't had that anything. We, we've given into sin. We haven't had anything to push us to resist. Um, We just haven't grown. What what do you think about that? Uh,
1: I think it's right on the money. And you see this in all these different examples, what you just gave and in countless ways you can see without any kind of challenge, there is no growth. You don't even sustain things necessarily. You can't maintain Think of, uh, of a football team. You know, right now we're just on the on the verge of football season now. Again, the NFL, college football, high school football, two-a-day practices, you know, for high schoolers, you know. And, and then there's classes, and there's weight training, and all these different uh, aspects that have to be implemented and integrated into a team, any team sport, but just say football for now. So preseason games are wrapping up at the time we record this for the NFL. And, and guys are getting cut. Okay, They didn't work hard enough, or they didn't show that they had it in them, or something years before did not challenge them enough for them to grow, that at this stage of their life, they were able to handle the maturity that they needed, for example. Well, it's not just physical. It's the maturity of the mind and the way they would live and behave on-field and off-field. These are all aspects of the entire makeup of the player. It starts when they're young, oftentimes, when you hear like the Tiger Woods or the Michael Jordans or or the Bay Ruths, these guys who, when they were very young, even their 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 father or father figure, whoever it was, or the mothers, whoever were in their lives were molding them, shaping their character, shaping their their work ethic, all these pieces. And it is always through some form of challenge. It, not, it didn't just sustain them, it helped them elevate to greatness on the field, on the court, whatever their, their, their sport was. You can find this in business. You can find this in, in the church. You can find this anywhere in life. We are simply built this way. And what we lose is, as you just mentioned, the lack of growth. I mean, we lose the potential of growth. Yeah, we lose the potential to grow. We lose the sustainability of even maintaining it. In a marriage, for example, we know that there needs to be some sort of you know, conversation. When you run into a tough moment, there's a moment of challenge right there. What do you do? Well, you can just fly off the handle and argue and fight and walk away. You can sit down and, and really discuss it and work through it and sometimes bring counseling in. And that's how the marriage even grows. We have lost so much of the sacred in our faith and in our world. We've lost a respect for the dignity of the human person because we've decided to make everything easy. In general, I, I would sum it up, it, it, to, in my heart, that's really how I see it, is we've made everything easy. You can be what you wanna be, I can be what I wanna be, even if it contradicts God's truth. You know, you can change your, 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 your gender for the day, you can be f- gender fluid, you can, you can change all of these things. And so we lose a sense of even the dignity towards other people. Even in the mass, and this is something that, that is really kind of stuck in my crawl space, uh, you know that little crawl space under a house where something gets in there and just just you know causes noise or starts to smell bad because it's dying off. Okay, this is one of those things that I just got to deal with: is people who talk after mass. Now I do, I've done it myself, and I apologized to anybody and everybody out there that's ever been in in my in my earshot when I've done this. But the sacredness of the church, the dignity of the church the dignity of the sacred space of the church, the dignity of the people in the church that are praying, especially, for example, before and after Mass. It should not be treated as a church hall, a place of conversation all the time. If you have to talk, keep your voice very low, try to move to the back of the church or out of the church if there are people praying after Mass or before Mass. But even the churches where you walk in and there's just this sense of awe because the church says, this is a sacred space. But what makes that happen is when the architecture and the paintings and the sense of of smell and, 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 and the music, these pieces all elevate. But those pieces have to be beautiful and beauty isn't necessarily easy, if we put it this way. A great painter, a great musician has to really be well trained in their craft. You know, beautiful, sacred music is not something you don't just sit down with a three-chord guitar player and write something that is worthy of Beethoven or Mozart or worthy of the mass. And yet that's what we've done. We've reduced our music for the mass, in some cases, to a three-chord guitar player. That's not putting down the guitar player. He or she may be a wonderful individual, loves God very much, but the sacredness is not there because they just don't have that skill in that area. And I know people would say, but that's heartless. Where's the compassion towards their giving their best? Well, they might be, but there is still something about the space of the church that is sacred and a dignity that must be must be retained, regained, must grow. And that involves the people, the the space and most importantly, the blessed sacrament himself there in the church. And we've lost that because, again, everything is easy and everything is simple and everything is whatever you want it to be. So we go to mass in flip flops, sandals, sometimes shorts, tank tops. Um, I'm not saying you have to wear, you know, a suit and tie every time, although that's wonderful. But I'm saying that we have just kind of thrown everything out and made anything goes. Teenagers are going to mass now with jeans that have all the cuts and rips in them, which I find interesting because they'll pay 80 to 100, 150, 200 dollars for the pair of jeans. I think they got them. Looks like they got them from the Goodwill you know, for 10 bucks. But that's just me. But we have lowered everything in that sacred space and the dignity towards even each other, each other's souls. Like I want to lift your soul, David, and you want to lift mine. And I want to be a good example to you. And you, I don't want to be to me. And so if we're at mass together, I want to give that time for you to be with the Lord. And I don't want to distract you from that. These are all little pieces that I don't think should be forgotten. Because we really have lost, we've lost a lot of them in a lot of ways.
0: We keep hearing from governments and from media that there are some things that are sacred, Um, or sacrist thing, they like to say um, on January 6th, you know, that was a, a big thing. Oh, we, you know, they, they came into this place that was this, this sacred and, and hollow space, which I, I had never heard before. I've been in that building. It was really nice, but I never heard it called sacred or sacrosanct um, the right to abortion, voting rights, um, and um, another right that that we call sacred is the right, like you mentioned, and people to be able to be this gender fluid sort of thing. That that's sacred. You can't challenge that. You can't you know, if someone tells us they change their gender. You can't name shame them because that's that that's sacred. Um, we call people and we call these people heroes as well. If they say, "Oh, I'm." Uh, you know, i I have attraction to the same gender we celebrate them they're they're heroes and so it seems it seems to be this is just the world that we live in so i I wonder Doug, when people try to make that transition into that sacred space that you outlined coming out of this this world where I mean isn't it do you think it's tempting to bring the world into the mass? these things that are not sacred these things that are blasphemous at times whether it's music it's the dress it's all these things we just want to bring into the mass rather than take what is sacred in the mass and bring it out into the world it seems like the transition um this this relationship um is going in the opposite direction than it should
1: yeah i you know and i as you say that what comes to my mind is if the enemy were going to target one of our weakest points, like if I'm in a fight with somebody, I don't care if it's on a street or in a boxing ring, I'm going to look for the weak points. That's what you do when you're thinking fight. Okay. I do a lot of self-defense training, try to help people with general basic self-defense and you, you want to gain the advantage somehow. So what do you do when you got a 350 pound solid muscle guy with his hands around the throat of a 150 pound woman and he's about to crush her she's got a couple of seconds she's got to learn to fight dirty she's got to find his weak points well poke him in the eyes hit him in the throat hard and fast okay i don't care how much muscle you have on you eyeballs and trachea do not do not they're not protected by muscle okay and so it's a weak point and you go for it and you go for it hard and fast. Well, the enemy, the spiritual enemy, the devil, Satan, they're going to go after, the demons are going to go after us, hit our weak point. And our weak point is, you know, we just, we want things to just be easy. We, we just, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't want to have to fight and struggle and so forth. And the world is, wants us to give us ease. I mean, we have smart homes now where I can tell my TV to change the channel if I want. I don't do that, by the way. I don't have that thing turned on uh, to to turn on, to tell the TV to change but we can do that. You know, I can adjust the thermostat of my house if I want. This house that I bought has these smart thermostats, right? So I can go online with an app and adjust my thermostat when I'm in, you know, hanging out with you in Germany if I want. Okay, I don't do that because I don't like those little things that make things so much easier. But when you want to take those worldly things and bring it into the area of sacred that really demands and deserves to keep us challenged, um, you cross a certain line. And I can hear the enemy maybe whispering that to us. Hey, it's not that big a deal. Just take these wonderful pieces of secular world, bring it into this area of the sacred. It just It's going to make it feel better. And it's all about feeling good. And that's our, that's our Achilles heel right there. That's the poke in the eye is we want to feel good. We want to feel good at Mass. We don't want to feel strained or or, or 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 stressed too much to have to even hold our posture up in a certain way when we pray, to present ourselves properly to Jesus in Holy Communion, an act of reverence the church has always taught we should make, whether we stand or kneel. Kneeling is an act of reverence. If you stand, the church has always said, what, um, a profound bow, a sign of the cross or a genuflection. One of these three things at least. A lot of people don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. You know, the idea of receiving communion on the hand as opposed to receiving on the tongue. I mean, I prefer the tongue. I think it's more sacred. I think it's safer too for particles of the host to not be lost. Okay. This is this ease thing. And I think that that ease has crept in and people, it's very easy to say, for people to say, let's just bring the worldly stuff in because it's going to make things feel easier, feel warmer. But what we lose is that sense, not feeling, but the sense of what is truly holy and sacred. You go back to the Old Testament and, and you think about the fact that they you weren't even supposed to touch the ark. And then when the ark started to fall in that one passage and the poor guy went up to grab it because he didn't want it to fall and he was struck dead. And I used to think, dear God Almighty, why did you kill the guy? All right, well, the guy might have gone straight to heaven. We don't know. I mean, but the point is, it was because there was something so sacred and so amazing about even the ark holding the covenant, the law, that that no one was to touch it. I just find if they were to, and you know, this better than me, um, when they would tie a rope around the high priest, right, his legs, so when he went behind the holy of holies in case he died, they could drag him out. <laughs> To think that they were concerned that we would die, that we could die if we saw the face of God, that's that's a level of holiness and sacredness that we just, we just are so out of touch with. And partly because we've brought so much of the world in to this sacred space, this whole mindset of the sacred space even. Like even when we pray, I'll just say this last thing, and pass it back to you, David, is when we pray sometimes, it's easy, I know I struggle with it, to allow distractions in and I mean, you can pray anywhere. You can pray at the bus stop. You can pray walking on a shopping mall. It can be done. Yes. The mind can do this. The heart can choose that, but it's not as easy. And it's easier when we set ourselves apart from those things and find a peaceful, quiet place, especially in the church. But if I'm going to pray on my patio, I like to do it at a time when there's nothing of the world that's going to draw too much attention to me when I can I can just be quiet and get into that sacred moment of even my mind and my heart connecting with God in prayer. And I just think that it's easy for us to kind of blend everything together and call it all good. And I, I think there's a real danger in that. We need to know that it's okay and good to separate certain things out between the world and the sacred.
0: And so Mr. Barry I hear what you're saying. And I think you're absolutely correct. Even if we look at scripture, we just don't see any examples of anyone who pursued comfort. In fact, we, most people who we look at in scripture had it like very hard. Think of Jeremiah. Um, he had his whole book was like lamentation. You know, he's angry at God sometimes for God, you know, sending him to these people who just don't want to hear him. And he, he wants out at times. We, we look at, um, apostle paul he talks about in his writings that he just has this thing that he's just dealing with this this thorn in his side but he he presses on saint after saint after saint after the last two thousand years from from john the baptist up until um mario cutis you know saint after saint after saint just didn't pursue the sacred but Someone taking your class now, Doug. They're listening to your lesson. They're like, "Man, I'm in a church, Mister Barry that doesn't motivate me." And I'm a person that I have to be motivated. You know, you know, money isn't going to motivate me to get to heaven. There's no money. There's not like a job. Well, you know, how can I be motivated if the church isn't pushing me? Like, how do I, how do I get there? How do I motivate myself if the church isn't motivating me?
1: Yeah, I think about uh, right away what comes to mind or uh, that moment when a doctor looks at someone and says, okay, you have this sickness or disease, whether it's type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, hypertension, whatever it might be. If you don't make some changes in your life, you're going to die or this is, this is going to crush you and everybody around you is going to feel this. You've got to make a decision right now. There will still be many people who will say, well, I just don't have it in me. And they'll just kind of ride that, kind of destructive train until there's some horrible, tragic outcome. I know a lady who uh, works with a holistic doctor, she's holistic and an MD. And she says that many people will come to her with problems. And the doctor who's an MD as well as holistic trained, will say, look, I can put you on a pill, which will medicate the problem, but it won't fix it. Or if you want to work in this program with me, we can change your diet, change your lifestyle, change A, B, C and D. And this can actually heal from the way god has created the body to heal through foods and exercise and 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 the proper nutrients and all 60 percent of the time they say just give me the pill just give me the medication i don't care to heal it partly because they just don't seem to have it in them to want to do what needs to be done this is a problem for all of us now when you've got church leaders who don't seem to have our best interests in mind and they don't seem to preach from the pulpit or train in the religious ed ed classes and such the way we should be trained. Let's know the basics. Let's know the Ten Commandments. In fact, I used to, when I would travel around the country, um, and I still do periodically, but I was going out every weekend practically, and I would ask constantly, especially among high schoolers, but I would do it for adults once in a while just to get the point across. Who can stand up and recite the Ten Commandments for me right now? Which, of course, our Lord tells the young man in Matthew 19, is necessary to get to heaven is to follow the commandments. Okay, who can recite them for me? In fact, let's make it challenging. I'll give you $20 if you can recite them backwards from 10 to 1. First, the even numbers and then the odd and do it in 30 seconds or less. Now, less than 1% of the time would anybody ever want to do it and even less would anybody even get it. Um, I always say the record is a 14 year old girl who did it in about 15 seconds. okay Yeah, that was my daughter, of course, but uh, <laughs> but my kids were trained in this they grew up they couldn't put food on the plate at supper time unless they can answer some questions. I made it fun. it was all it was all in fun. It was like a trivia game. But my point is most people across the country for years didn't have the confidence to stand up. Like if I said, can you stand up and tell me your name? Sure. How about your kids' names? Yeah, you bet. Can you tell me uh, your street address? Things that you just know because it's part of your life. But our faith isn't part of our life like that. So that the commandments, let alone what's under the commandments, let alone uh, such as the sacraments and what the sacraments mean and which are the ones of initiation and so forth, which have the indelible mark and so forth and such, these things are just not part of our lives. So how do we get motivated to do this? Look, when it comes to exercise, for example, I'm a very self-motivated person. I don't need someone to say to me, hey, you got to keep exercising, Doug. I don't know why that is, but I can do it on my own. I've always been able to. It's not always easy. I don't love doing it. Many times I don't like doing it, but I do it because as Jack LaLanne, a famous you know father of fitness said that I don't always like the exercise, but I like the results, which means not the ripped abs and all that. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I like the results of knowing that I'm investing in my health 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. I'm investing in being healthy and strong for my grandkids now because I have grandkids. So the same with my faith. Now, I can be motivated a couple different ways to work out. It can be because if I don't exercise, I could die of a sickness. That's true. Just recently, I was diagnosed with hypertension, high blood pressure. I'm not on medication, and I don't want to have to be on medication. So I'm going to adjust things, and I'm going to work harder so that I don't have to go that route. But I understand that. But that's my motivation for It's not necessarily just because of me, it's because of the people around me. So what's the motivation to wanna to deepen our faith? What's the motivation to when our, when our spiritual leaders aren't pushing us towards the sacred, aren't challenging that osteoblast cell of our soul? I would say the individual's gotta look hard and fast in the mirror. And I know there are people that are looking for some sort of, I always call it the angelic injection. They're waiting. They're going to pray to God, please give me the the strength to want to work out, for example, or clean my house or fix my marriage or, or go to confession. And they're waiting for an injection from the angels. Then all of a sudden they're going to be animated and, and just kind of do it without their will being involved in it. And I think that what it boils down to is every single one of us has to realize that there is a need for sacred. There is a need for holiness. There is an absolute unmistakable need for a relationship with God that is deep, not surface, not shallow, but deep. And it's not just out of fear that I'll go to hell if I don't have it. It's it's because we're built for it. Just like the human body. I don't care who we are. I don't care what part of the world we're from. Every single human body is made up of about 75% water. Every single human body needs to be hydrated. No one can escape that. And just like that, every single soul needs God. It's a relationship that sustains us in countless ways. And so the motivation for me is there's just nothing else. So I always say when I work out, my, I have a friend who says, man, how do you stay motivated to work out? He's 20 years younger than me and he has a hard time getting a couple days a weekend and I'll be in my garage, you know, hundred degrees outside and I'll be out there, you know, four or five days a week sometimes. And he'll say, how do you get motivated? And I say, it's just what we do. We meaning me, myself and I. We just train, we just pray, we just beg God, we just go to confession, we just get on our knees, we just do it. And so the motivation has to be deeper than waiting for somebody else. It has to be rooted in, I love these men you mentioned, Jeremiah is one of my favorites and it's because of all the harsh realities he went through. And that passage where he says, you duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. Oh, isn't that amazing? I tell you. Okay, but then that famous line, but then it becomes like fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones, I grow weary holding it in, I must. But then he goes back to complaining right after that. But the thing about Jeremiah is he leads a really rough life and ends up dying a rough way. I mean, most of the prophets did. So I say they're in a better place. Our time here is so limited, so short. We have no idea how long it is. OK, and it could be over in a flash. We've not been promised the next five minutes. So part of my motivation is I don't want to waste the five minutes between now and when I might die. And so it's not a motivation out of fear, although there, there is a place for that. Healthy fear can move us in the right direction, just like you can give a healthy fear to your kid when they're five years old and they're playing in the street and a car's coming down the road. You're going to cast a little bit of fear in them if you can't get to them to get them out of the way so they don't get hit by the car and die. There's healthy fear that motivates, and I think when Jesus talks about things like the the worm not dying and the fire not ending, or being being thrown out where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth, these are these are places where he's trying to motivate us a little bit with a little bit of healthy fear. But by and large, the majority of this should be rooted in what motivates me is a relationship with God. Yeah, but I don't feel it, Doug. It doesn't matter whether we feel it or not. It simply already is because we're being sustained by his will to begin with. And so I tell people, look, depending on where you are with that relationship with God, whatever chapter your life is in right now, and mine have changed. I mean, in my years of doing this work, uh, born and raised, cradle Catholic and all. I mean, there was a time when I was a clock in, clock out Catholic. I'd walk into church, put my hand in the holy water font that was clocking in and I'd walk out after mass and I would clock out. And that was the extent of my faith. And now I wake up in the morning until I go to bed at night and I'm constantly in conversation with God in some way. Sometimes I'm I'm on my knees in adoration. I'm in the confessional every couple of weeks, at least. I pray a daily rosary, sometimes more than one. And this is, I fast usually a little bit every day in some way, just to feel, just to feel that little bit of shot, little pain. Last thing I'll say on that is this, a buddy of mine spent over 30 years in the military. And one time he was visiting me. And he was about to go on deployment after he left the visit. And I said, hey, man, let's break out the ice cream. We were big into ice cream. We weren't big into beer. We were big into ice cream, right? So I got a gallon of ice cream for each of us. We're going to have a feast. And he says, no, I can't because I'm being deployed soon. And I have to keep the edge. I have to keep the edge. I'll never forget that. How do we keep that edge so that we're sharp and ready to go? Prayer, fasting, mortification, training the body, the mind, the soul. It keeps the edge so that we're ready to do what God calls us to do. And that that's another motivation for me. I want to be ready. I want to be ready for for when God calls what God calls me to do and ready to care for those that God entrust in my life.
0: So, Mr. Barry, a lot of people who may be familiar with you, who are watching this course, may have at some point in time saw you on the Grace Force podcast with Father Haman there's a something that you guys do a few times a year I notice is usually one of my favorite segments at the end where you just kind of talk about hey is the world just going to implode or the comments coming you know is is the devil jumping out of a phone booth tomorrow you know just (laughs) and you guys just got to talk about you know you give your thoughts and your guests like is there any hope so I wanted to ask you that same thing because we're living in a world where More and more countries are making assisted suicide legal. Um, We're living in a world where um, famous people, more and more famous people, are encouraging women to shout their abortion. You talk about loss of the sense of the sacred. If the child in the womb isn't sacred, if you have to shout that you killed it, what type of world are we living in? And if your kid comes home and they tell you, um, hey, mom, dad, I think I'm a monkey. We could just give the kid a pill to ease with the transition. This is this just seem to be common themes in the world now, things that just unheard of maybe five, 10 years ago. So, Mr. Barry, is the world, is there any hope for them to recover a sense of the sacred? Can Catholics assist with that? Or are we just on a different trajectory than a world where Satan is his prince?
1: You know, recently what we went through with this, call it the medical debacle of all times. And I say debacle, but there was a lot of corruption behind it with forcing people to be fired for not getting an injection and threatening this and that and shutting down churches and bishops telling priests in some places, don't go give last rites to somebody who's dying because this is just too serious of a sickness. And all this unbelievable twisting and manipulating that went on And yet what you think, I think what we saw through a lot of it and the outcome after a lot of it passed, even though they're not done with this, you know, they're still working on using this, this medical fear. But we saw a lot of division and we saw some people who kind of put their foot down finally and said, wait a minute, no, we're not doing this. And then you saw a lot of people who said, well, yeah, we're just going to go along with this. I think things like that to me look like major indicators of where we are with a lot of things in life. We're seeing that in the church very clearly right now with certain leadership things that are coming out of Rome, that are coming out of local bishops in different countries, Germany, and so forth. We're seeing where bishops are deciding this and that, and things are getting crazier and crazier. And some people are saying, Yeah, we need to go with this. And others are saying, Wait a minute, uh uh, I don't think so. I think this division, and some say it's bad, and some division is bad. I mean, obviously, but when you see that Jesus Himself talks about, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring division. You know, and there'll be family members against family members. He breaks all that down in that passage. But the division is over what? It's over truth. You're gonna adhere to the truth, or you're not, you're gonna adhere to what is sacred and holy, or you're not, you're gonna adhere to what is true about the life of the baby in the womb and the dignity of the human person, and two genders, male and female. You're going to adhere to the truth of these things, or you're not. And the division will come because of that. And so the direction that we're headed clearly doesn't look good, and yet in some places it does, because it's waking up some people to say, hey, i got to roll up the sleeves and get busy. i got to get into this. And there are some Catholics and Christians of other denominations that are starting to go, whoa, wait a minute, we've got to get back to biblical principles. We've got to get back to, like in America here, Judeo-Christian values that we were founded on, and we've got to understand what the church has always taught. We've really got to get into this. And then there are going to be those out there that are like, hey, it's a free-for-all, this is great, let's go. And you're going to have both sides. But I think what you will find as you do when you have very warm climates and very cold climates that come together is you have major storms. You have hurricanes, you have tornadoes, you have cyclones, typhoons, tropical storms, and so forth. And that's where I see this as all unfolding, too. I think we're seeing it happen, and I think it will intensify personally. And I also take uh, take to heart the prophecies, the church-approved prophecies. I know there are many out there of people who are not approved by the church, but they're considered maybe serious, legitimate, modern-day locutionists or visionaries or messengers from God. Time will tell. I I just say, I keep that at arm's length and say, time will tell. Stick to what we know has been approved, like Fatima, uh, Our Lady of Good Success, um, Our Lady of La Salette, Our Lady of Akita, and we see Our Lady of Garibandel. We see in these prophecies and in these moments where we were warned by heaven very clearly what happens when you do not align yourselves with God's truth. It always results, always in some sort of of storm on some level and we've seen this with you know the Pachamama issue was traumatic and how it affected the church and then right at that point we saw this medical issue this virus come out and even Monsignor Pope um, wrote about that saying that whenever you bring a false idol into the church you always see some sort of response such as virus sickness plague pestilence and so and such so any of that i think shows us historically god will not be mocked and god will not allow things to just roll on their merry way in corruption and twistedness the tyrants eventually are going to have to answer they're going to have to they're going to have to pay their price we just have to decide whether we're going to be on on the side of truth or the side of of destruction but my opinion and based on prophecies of our blessed mother and other prophecies that are legitimate and approved um, we're in for a storm, and it's happening, but I believe it's going to get much, much worse.
0: Mr. Doug Barry, thank you for this catechesis and instruction on the return to the sacred. Thank you.
1: Thank you, David.